One of the things that, um, that I've been really sensing, of course, is that we are, we are coming into a time of warfare. I, I don't feel like some of people in the church fully understand that with embarking on the daycare, what we are doing is taking territory. What we are doing is, is really an act of war in the spiritual realm because we are claiming something. We are saying we are reaching out and stretching out and claiming something for God. When that happens, when somebody embarks into what you perceive as your territory, you fight back. So we have to understand that the enemy is going to fight back. He's not going to let us blindly claim what territory he believes is his. And it's not just about the physical fact there, because we own the land, so it's not about that. It's about the meaning behind it. The daycare is one part of the vision, and the vision is that eventually we're going to run a holistic center. And we haven't quite worked out the name yet, because holistic center sounds a bit meh. But when we get the right name, that'd be awesome. But at this stage, so what it's going to do is it's going to enable us to be a blessing to our community because we will be able to offer free counseling to people who need it. We'll be able to offer a way of restoring people. We'll be able to impact into things because it's not just about saving Christians and making Christians feel comfortable. It's about being a blessing to all peoples, whether they believe what we believe or not. And so the daycare is actually the first step in that process. But it does mean that we will be entering a season of warfare. And it's a season. Your whole Christian life should be lived in seasons. Each season requires different things. So even if you don't want to be involved in warfare, that's going to happen at some part of your life. As you grow in your intimacy with God, as your relationship with God becomes more intimate and deeper, you, you reach into another part of your life and, and into different things. And what happens is, and I think Sam Chan puts it best, he says, new level, new devil. And what he means is that with each step that you progress in your relationship with God, with each part of intimacy you get, there is a new giant to face. There's a new wall that needs to come down. There's a new mountain that has to be moved. And that is for a season. And then you enter a season of rest where other things happen. But in that battle, in that fighting the, the giant, in that moving that mountain is when you grow. You do not grow if you're sitting on your chuff not doing anything, if you're just sitting. That is why it's about seasons. Does that make sense? So I want to make sure that our church is fully equipped, that when the attack happens, because it's going to happen corporately and it will happen in our individual lives. And when it happens, that you are fully versed. So if you have missed... Church through September, I, I, I encourage you to go back onto Podbean, look up the messages, and listen to them, because in speaking this one, I have to assume you've heard the others, otherwise we're going to be here all day. Does that make sense? All right. So bear with me. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you have been able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I actually really like the way that the Passion Translation puts this. And it says it this way. Put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert. Then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of peace. 
In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies and take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God. I really like that. I like that translation. So what we have here is we have a belt of truth, we have a breastplate of righteousness, we have shoes of peace, we have a shield of faith, uh, we have a helmet of salvation, and we have the sword of the spirit. Of these six pieces of armor, five are for defense. One is an offensive weapon. Only one weapon is to be used for attacking the enemy in battle. Using the five to one ratio, it says to me that we need to spend five times the amount of preparation, five times the amount of prayer, five times the amount of energy preparing for battle than we do for actually being a part of the battle. So I want to look specifically at our first weapon. I just want to look at our offensive weapon. I want to look at our sword. The two main Greek words that are used in the New Testament for word are logos and rhema. The definitions given are this. Logos is the word of God or principle of divine reason and creative order. Identified in the Gospel of John with the second person of the Trinity incarnate in Jesus Christ. Rhema literally means utterance or a thing said. So basically, logos is the written word and rhema is the spoken word. When someone speaks a word to you, it is rhema. When you write down what they have said, it becomes logos. Does that make sense? Yeah. The entire Bible was rhema when God spoke it to the men who wrote. It was rhema in their hearts. The entire Bible became logos when they wrote it on paper. Right? You follow me? Just making sure. In verse 17 of Ephesians 6, in regards to the sword of spirit, it is rhema of God. It specifically says, spoken word of God. Now I want to make a statement that may shock a few of you. And like I said, go back and listen to the other messages or hang with me and hopefully you'll get it. You cannot at will select any verse in the Bible and use it for warfare. You can. It, all, the whole Bible is beneficial. All scripture is beneficial. You can take the Bible and take verses and you can use them for instruction. You can use it for correction. You can use it for encouragement. What you cannot do is use it for warfare. Because it's logos. It's not rhema. If I speak, then doesn't it become rhema? Look closely at this verse, at verse 17. It says, Rhema of God. Your name is not listed there. It has to be the Rhema of God. It cannot be the Rhema of Trinity. can't be the Rhema of Craig. can't be the Rhema of Madison. It has to be Rhema of God. The reason for this is, therefore, when you enter into battle, it's not your words that have been spoken, it's God's word that has been spoken. 
There is error, what I believe has been an error taught for decades about spiritual warfare, and that is we've gone from faith into presumption. And we've assumed that whatever we speak is the rhema of God. You see, in a court of law, if I were to get up and testify about a murder, and I, if I went up and I said, well, actually, I spoke to my aunt, and her cousin was on a boat, and she was doing a cruise with a chiropractor of the dentist, and the guy, the defendant, he was in the dentist chair, and he told them all of this stuff, and he confessed to it. Now, do you think a court of law is going to take what I say as, as testimony? Doesn't they? The reason being it's called heresy. You can't say that. Oh, sorry, hearsay, sorry, you can't say that. When Satan, when it comes to Satan, and we are speaking God's word, if God's spirit is not simultaneously speaking it, Satan ignores you because it's just hearsay. Because it's not the spoken word of God. It's the spoken word of Trinity. It's the spoken word of Craig. In Acts 19, verse 13, some itinerant Jewish exodus who happened to be in the town at the time tried their hand at what they assumed to be Paul's game. They pronounced the name of the master Jesus over victims of evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus preached by Paul. The seven sons of a certain Siva, a Jewish high priest, were trying to do this on a man when the evil spirit talked back. I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Then the possessed man went berserk, jumped the exorcist, beat them up, tore off their clothes, naked and bloody, they got away as best they could. Why? Because it wasn't the spoken word of God. See, the devil, the enemy knows Jesus. And he knows, he knew who Paul was because Paul was speaking what? what with spoken word of God. When you just rock up there and start throwing out verses left, right and center, you're just, it's just you, it's not, it's not God. Before I speak something as rhema, it has to become rhema to me. Before I can claim that the word of God has now suddenly gone from being logos to rhema, it has to have been spoken to me. I must experience God's spirit speaking his word into my spirit for it to become rhema. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, does that mean it's better if I have an audio version of the Bible. Does that then mean it's going to become rhema? Not really. You see, hearing in this instance is not talking about hearing with your natural ear. It's talking about hearing with your spiritual ear. It's talking about faith is in your spirit. If faith is in your spirit, it doesn't matter what's been said in the physical. God's word only becomes faith when it connects with my spirit. If I am sitting in church... And God's, and the person is preaching, they're communicating with my intellect and with my emotions. If God's word only becomes faith to me, if God's spirit is sitting upon that person, and if what they say suddenly responds to my spirit, my spirit suddenly catches it and lays a hold of it and grabs it, that's when faith is birthed within me. And that is when it becomes the rhema. You see, after you receive a rhema from God... When you start to speak it, when you start to pray it into your situations, do you know what it is? It's God speaking it over and over and over. I'm no, I'm just, I'm, I may be saying the words, but it's His Spirit that's speaking the word over and over and over. Remember when I talked in my message 
um, back in September, and I talked about how it's actually God's presence that makes causes the enemy to flee. Anyone remember that? You know, talking about how God's presence comes, his glory falls, and where God's glory is, the enemy can no longer be. Same thing. When God's spirit begins to speak, and I'm speaking the words, and his spirit is speaking through me, what do you think happens? The enemy flees. Why? Because he's afraid of God, and he can't be where the glory is. He is not afraid of me. I can say anything. The devil's not going to leave. He doesn't care. Who am I to him? Absolutely nothing. I'm just a bug he's trying to squash. But if I begin to speak and the word of God, which has been birthed in faith in me, then it's God that speaks over and over and over. When I speak that word and I'm anointed by his spirit, it remains rhema of God. It says in 1 John 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that when I'm speaking, it's not me, it's God's spirit that speaks. Does that make sense? I feel like some of you guys aren't getting this. Let me think how I can break this down a bit more. How do you know if, have you ever experienced when you're reading your Bible and suddenly it's like this verse just jumps out at you? It's almost like it gets highlighted or it's in bold or something about it catches your attention. Do you know what I'm talking about? That is God speaking you a rhema word. If you have not experienced that, I would recommend that you read your Bible more. But when it jumps out, the worst thing you can absolutely do is to keep reading. You should stop because God is speaking a spoken word to you. You stop. You read it again. You close your eyes. You meditate on it. You take it in. And then you learn to apply it to your situation. Whatever it is, begin to apply it. Begin to pray it. Sometimes it won't make sense. It really won't. The word you'll be thinking, this has nothing to do with my situation. When I was pregnant with Madison, we'd already had two miscarriages, and I was pregnant with Madison, and I was um, up here in Auckland, Craig and I were actually planning a church in Wellington at the time. We were about six months out, I think, from the actual launch date, but we'd, we'd been down there, Craig had been down there for about nine months already, getting things prepared. And we found out I was pregnant. And the way we found out was I was in a, I'd been really sick. The Crohn's had flared up really badly. Um, and they put me into a CT machine. And all of a sudden, in the middle of my scan, the machine shuts down. The technician comes running in and she says to me, you've got fluid in your womb. And I'm like, oh, yeah? What does that mean? He like, you know, she goes, that means you're pregnant. And now this child's going to be all deformed. You're going to have to have an abortion, blah, blah, blah. It was completely awful. The whole situation was just awful. Now, as a Christian, and you, if you would have heard me say before, for no, there's no reason that I would ever have an abortion. So I was like, okay, well, this is going to be fun. And then I kind of figured, to be honest, um, that I'd had these two miscarriages. Chances of me carrying this kid anyway was, was null and void. So it was just going to be something I was going to deal with and move on. Problem is, is that we kept waiting. For, I kept waiting. And, and, and we kept having the threats of miscarriage, you know, all the, the bleeding and all the in and out of the hospital and all this sort of, sort of drama. And I honestly felt crazy. I, I felt crazy in that season of my life. And I felt crazy because during the day, I, I had almost like hardened my heart. And I was like, okay, God, it looks like I'm going to have a miscarriage. Can we just get the miscarriage done? So I can move on with my life and deal with it, and, and this is just dragging out. Then at night, I would do this complete another flip, and I would 
lie in my bed and I would hold my Bible. I wouldn't read it. I would just hold it. And I would just be like, oh, God, please. Oh, God, please. And then, but I wouldn't, and I wasn't able to sleep in because I'm like, if this child survives and it's all deformed, how's my life going to look? If this and if that. And then in the morning, I would wake up, see signs of the miscarriage supposed to be happening and harden my heart and go, okay, God, let's just get rid of this thing. Let's just move on. Can you just take this child so I can get on with my life? And then at night, again, at night, I would just, oh God, please. And it was awful. I honestly felt crazy. And I wasn't getting any sleep and I was deteriorating. And you know how some women, when they're pregnant, they just glow? They just look awesome? I look like crap. Uh, my skin broke out in worse acne than I'd had. I didn't, I've never had acne that bad in my life. I didn't even had it like that as a teenager. It was just, and my hair was all lank, and my nails just like broke. And honestly, it was just awful. And, and so I'm sort of like this, and mentally I'm just completely unstable. Um, Craig, I don't think, knew what was going on. And yeah, some of it was probably the hormones. And I was in and out of hospital the whole time, and it was just awful. And God gave me the, I said, Look, I can't keep living like this. This is ridiculous. So God, I, I opened my Bible. Funny, I opened my Bible. And God gave me the scripture. And it was Psalm 4, verse 8. I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So I started, that night, I thought, okay. I started praying it. I started meditating. And I prayed and I meditated on this one scripture. And I actually managed to sleep. And I didn't feel so crazy. And after a week, I actually felt so much better. But the thing is, I came to a friend and I was talking to her um, at church. And she goes, well, you're looking really, you're looking much better and you seem a lot more steady. Yep. And uh, she goes, what's happened? So I explained how God had given me the scripture. God had spoken to me, given me the scripture. So I told her what the scripture was. And she goes, oh, that's great. And we chatted a bit more. And then as I was leaving, she said to me, actually, um, I don't really think that was God speaking to you. I was like, oh. She goes, I, I think, you know, a better scripture would have been, you know, um, Psalm 139, you know, you knitted me in my mother's womb, or, you know, the one in Isaiah about healings and, and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, oh, she's probably right. So, of course, I stopped praying the scripture. And I went back to being completely crazy. And after about three or four days, I thought, this is ridiculous. So I went back to praying the scripture. See, when God speaks to you, he's speaking to you. He's not speaking to everybody else. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. But if you hold to what he says because he's spoken to you, and if you keep speaking that, it's him speaking it over and over into your situation. And his, his word never returns void. It always goes out and accomplishes what it's supposed to. All right, so the purpose of your sword. The purpose of your sword is really simple. You stick the pointy end in the enemy. It's honestly, it's that easy, I promise. It is designed for attacking the enemy and for dealing a fatal blow. But we have to keep in mind who the enemy is. I have seen Christians use it on sinners. I've seen them use it to have these scriptural arguments against their behaviors and what they're doing. And the Bible says that the word is supposed to be seed to the sinner. We are supposed to plant it with care, not with a shotgun. The other thing that I've seen Christians do is attack other Christians with it. We are family. We are brothers and sisters. We don't use it to, you know, attack other people. And yes, we'd say what they say in Ephesians 4. We always say the same thing. Oh, I'm speaking the truth in love. Really? Nine times out of ten, we're actually not. 
We're wanting to score points, put them in their place. But we say, but if I say I'm doing it in love, then doesn't that mean I'm doing it in love? No, you're just trying to justify being nasty to someone. What you've got to think about is what is your motive when you need to do that? Are you seeking healing or are you seeking destruction? Are you seeking to put them in their place or are you seeking to lift them up? If you cannot answer that in the positive, keep your mouth quiet. So now I've eliminated two of our favorite uses for the sword. You can't bash uh, non-Christians and you can't bash Christians. What am I supposed to do with it? Novel approach, let's just attack Satan with it. Now you, I'm being a bit funny, but honestly, that's what church life is like, yeah? We've all experienced those barbs from people. So I want to read you this testimony. And this is a testimony I, I read a number of years ago, but... I think when you hear it, you'll, you'll see why it's a, it's a good testimony. One of the conference speakers was a spirit-filled Catholic priest who was the director of an orphanage in a small Texas town near the Mexican border. He was somewhat frail-looking in his traditional black shirt and clerical collar with black jeans and black tennis shoes. He said that God had taught them how to speak the word into the spiritual realm as a command to Satan and his demons. He said, we need to take upon ourselves to choose, we never take it upon ourselves to choose which passage we would use in a given situation. Before speaking the word, we spend much time in prayer asking God to reveal to us the word that he wants to accomplish in this situation. Sounds like we're looking for a rhema word. He told several stories of miracles which happened as a result of speaking the word, and this is one of them. They'd been invited to minister in a prison for young men in Mexico. But the other ministries that had come there previously only had left disheartened because of the terrible response from the prisoners. They would scream and shout profanities so loudly that the ministry could not be heard. The prison officials decided to not allow anyone else to come into the prison for ministry, but they allowed this one group for a final try. While praying, God gave them Philippians 2, 10 to 11, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The priest explained that they actually had to do three different things. One third of the group speaks the word, another third prays in tongues, and the others sing, praise, and dance before the Lord. The prison buildings were configured in a U-shape with the courtyard area in the middle. The young men in the prison were so violent that the officials decided not to remove them from their cells. They would have to look through the bars of the windows of their cells and carefully listen to observe and hear the ministry in the courtyard below. The yard was, oh, sorry, the ministry group led by the spirit-filled Catholic priest set up their sound equipment in the central courtyard and began to minister in song. He said the screaming and shouting of profanity was so loud they could not hear the music coming through the sound system. Now that's got to be loud. He turned to the group and he told one-third of them to continue singing and praising and dancing for the Lord. He then told the others to pray in the Spirit and a third group to begin speaking the rhema word of God that he had given them for that occasion. They began saying, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. After 30 minutes, there was no change. Some of the group, they kept speaking the word, praying in the Spirit and praising God. After one hour, there was still no change. Some of the group was beginning to lose their voices, so they had to stagger the singing and the speaking while others rested their voices. An hour and a half had gone by, and the prisoners still continued to shout their profanities. Now, I don't know about you, but that scripture about shaking the dust from your feet 
kind of sounds like it would be relevant for this point. The priest explained that God had told them to not stop speaking the word that he had given them until it had come to pass. So they kept speaking the word. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. They didn't give up. And Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth from the mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper the thing where I send it to. Finally, after one hour and 45 minutes, every prisoner was on his knees. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He then managed to lead the whole prison to Jesus. This is, this is something that happened about 15 years ago. Totally and utterly, completely turned that prison around, turned around the, the, the differing um, Mexican towns that those guys came from. When God gives you a rhema word, you have to keep speaking it until the principalities are bowed to it, until they fall into line with the word of God. Romans 4.17 says that God calls those things which do not exist as if they did. Regardless of what you see around you, regardless of what this world is telling you, regardless of the circumstances that you're in, you have to keep speaking the word of God. You have to stop looking with your physical eyes, and we need to start seeing with our spiritual eyes. You've got to continue to speak in faith the word that he has spoken over you. And sometimes you may not feel like you have a lot of faith when you do it. You just need to keep doing it. If you speak the word that he has given you, it becomes a sword in your hands, and you're able to actually deal a fatal blow to the enemy. So how do I know then if I have the whole armor of God on? Because obviously if I'm speaking the word of God and I'm speaking at the principalities and powers and the enemy's still going to be firing arrows. In James it says that the word of God is like a mirror which shows me what kind of manner of man I am. See, everything that God does, everything he speaks to us, he uses the word and he uses his spirit. Without the spirit, the word lacks life. It's dry. And without the word, the operation of the spirit loses balance. We've met those people who are so into the spirit that they're a little bit loopy. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? I was trying to be nice about it. We all know those people. Without the word, there's no balance. You have to have be balanced between the word of God and the spirit. Remember, we take, just a quick remembrance, Remember, we put on the armor of God by submitting to God, and we take off the armor of God by voting. Thing is, if you're just looking in a little mirror from the bathroom cabinet, you may think you are fully covered in the armor of God. Because I'm looking in the mirror, and if I'm looking at the things that I like in the Bible, if I'm looking at the things that if I'm listening to only messages that I like, then what am I seeing in this little mirror? Oh, yeah, I'm completely protected. I am so covered. Because if I like messages where it always talks about the grace of God and the love of God, then that means that if I sin and slip up over here, it doesn't matter because God's just all about love and God's just all about grace because all I'm looking at is this. But if you're looking at the film mirror, if you're looking at yourself in a film mirror and you're viewing the word in balance, you'll be able to see that, yes, there is truth, that there is grace and that there is love, but there also comes a time when God says, you need to stop that behavior because that is not what you were called to do. There has to be balance in your life. You need the word and you need the spirit. 
I want to just briefly finish on one thing. God didn't create us for warfare. That's why it's a season. I don't want you to lose sight of that. It's just a season. God created us for fellowship. He created us for worship. He created us to be intimate with him. That is our sole function. The warfare we have to do because the enemy is consistently, constantly, always coming to undermine your relationship with God. The only time we go into warfare is to keep that relationship with God in its rightful place. Now, I don't know what kind of warfare you're currently facing. I don't know if you're facing an internal one where you have to maybe battle with yourself about some of your attitudes and some of the things that you're doing. And I don't know if maybe you have to, you're battling outside circumstances. But the end result should always be the same. It's got to be about keeping your relationship with God right. Because that's the most important thing we have. I want to share, I had asked him to do it himself, but he's declined to do it, but he's given me permission to share this testimony. My nephew, Celeste, comes to our church. He's 14 years old. He's been coming for a long time, since pretty much since we've been here. He's been coming to church. And his whole life, his whole entire life, has always been about playing league. He, his goal is to play in the, the NRL. When he went to school, he came home and his mother said to him, did you like school? He goes, oh, it's all right, but I don't want to go again. She, she says to him, you have to go to school. You have to learn to read and write. No, I don't need to learn to read and write. I'm going to play league. And so she said to him in the end, uh, if you can't read and write, you won't be able to read your NRL contract and then you won't know if they're shafting you or not. So at five, he determined he would go to school so he could read his contract. And so earlier this year, right at the start of the year, he had a couple of friends who had gone to Australia and they had been picked up by the development squads of the different NRL teams. And he's good. He is a good player. And so he was a bit like, I think I need to go to Australia. And and my sister came to me and she's like, I don't know what to do. She goes, do I let my baby go and, and do this? Is this what God wants for him? Or do I make him stay here with me? Like, what do I do? I, I don't know what to do. So I said to her, well, we're going to pray. And then I talked to him, and I said to him, I said, Celeste, you have to pray. I said, you need to pray and ask God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to take my chances and go, or am I supposed to stay? I said, well, you need a scripture. I said, if you go, God has to give you a scripture about going, because you're going to go, and you're going to be by yourself, and you're going to not know anyone, you're going to get homesick, and it's going to be hard. I said, and you need to have a scripture that you can hold to when it gets hard. And then I said to him, and then you need to pray also, because if God's telling you to stay, you need a scripture about staying, so that when the circumstances don't look like it's happening, you're, you know that God's got this and you know that staying was the right thing to do. So I said to him, I can't do this for you. I will pray that God, that pray for you about this whole situation, but I can't get that word for you and give it to you. I cannot do that. I said, you have to have the word from God. So about, this is a conversation happened about seven months ago, maybe eight months ago, and so he started praying. He determined within himself that he would hear from God. So 30 minutes before he goes to bed, he has his devotion time. And he prays, and he reads his word, and he got a word from God. And he's held on to that word. And he held on to that word the whole season when other kids were getting picked up by different things. He even, uh, about a month ago, 
they talked about a scholarship in Australia at a high school specifically so that he could then feed into the, to one of the NRL clubs. And he held to the word that God gave him. And at the end of the season, he's still holding to the word that God gave him. Even though the circumstances around him, he had other friends had been picked up by the Warriors and other friends had been picked up by clubs overseas. He still held to the word that God gave him. Last week, he gets an invitation to join the Warriors Development Academy. This is huge. In the letter, they said that normally they don't approach them this young because he's only 14. They normally take them older. But what was awesome is that even when it looked like the whole season had passed by and nothing had happened and nothing had changed, he held to the word that God had given him. So we went out for dinner last night. We had this celebration dinner. And I said to him, I was, I was curious, has he stopped reading his word? Has he stopped having his devotion time? Because, you know, he had an answer now that, yep, he's staying and this is where God wants him and he'll be held and blah, blah, blah. And so I had this conversation and I said to him, do you know what? What was interesting was he hasn't stopped reading his word. He hasn't stopped doing his devotion. Because while he went looking for an answer for himself, he found Jesus. And he said this, he said, I have to keep Jesus at the center of everything I do. And that I thought was amazing. Because no matter what battle you go through, the end result, whether it's what you wanted or what you didn't want, is to find Jesus. That's what it's about, finding Jesus. In John chapter 12, some Greeks came to worship at the feast. They'd heard the stories of Jesus and they wanted to meet him. And they came to Philip and they said in verse 21, Sir, we would see Jesus. Concentrate on seeing Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you won't go wrong. Don't, don't get swayed by thinking that warfare is something scary. It's just keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's all it is. Why don't we stand to our feet? find it interesting that I end up by speaking this message on Armistice Day. hundred years ago, First World War ended today, hundred years ago. And we are called to walk out the gospel of peace. We are called to take territory for God. We are called to extend his kingdom but at all times, remembering that the goal is peace. So I just want to pray. God, that we would see Jesus. Father, that you have equipped us 
to be defended in the battle. And you've equipped us to be able to, to wage a fatal blow. I pray, God, that whenever we are preparing for battle, that we spend the time in your word to be given a rhema word from you that will overthrow the enemy. God, that we'll be a people that would seek first your word before we engage in the battle. God, that we'll be a people who would be able to cling to that word in the face of whatever this world is showing us. God, that we'll learn to see not with our eyes in the natural, but God, that we'll learn to see through our spirit. Father, that we'll be a people that will be able to see into the third heaven and to be able to lay a hold of those things of God and not to pay attention to what is happening around us. God, that we want to see that mountain move, that we will see the mountain moving. Lord, that as we're coming up against the different giants in our lives, Father, we will remember, God, that you stood with David and made Goliath fall. Father, that as we begin to march around, Father, the walls of our personal Jerichos, Father, Lord, that they will begin to crumble as we proclaim God's word over them. I thank you, God, that we're a people who are prepared. We are a people who will go forth and bring your gospel with us. I thank you, God, that we're going to hear testimonies after testimonies of people who have faced down those things, Lord, whether it's healing that's required, whether it's financial breakthrough that's required, whether it's restoration of relationships that's required, whether it's salvation for our family, Father, whatever it is that we're facing, God, Lord, that we'll have testimony of testimony of people who have had a word from God, that they continually speak it into that situation, God, and that we would see your hand move. We would see the triumph and Jesus come to life. And I thank you, God, that every single person who goes forth with that God will come away saying, I saw Jesus. And it's not about the victory that they gained, but it's about the I saw Jesus. And that becomes the focus at the end. We thank you in Jesus' name.